Content warning. The following program may contain descriptions of violence and or sexual assault that may be upsetting to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. The upper left corner of the United States is full of stunning scenery. Beautiful mountains, raging rivers, breathtaking valleys, and so much more. But the Pacific Northwest is also known for something more sinister. This beautiful land also seems to be a breeding ground for serial killers and others who commit heinous acts. I was born in the Pacific Northwest, and I've had a fascination with true crime since childhood. I'm here to tell you the true crime stories of the PNW. So grab your sweater and a cup of coffee. I'm your host, Emily, and this is The Upper Left Corner. in the world who would call attention to herself and yet put a microphone in her hand march her up on a stage and she was just magnetic songs on there it all dies anyway it's, she's singing about the birds on the sidewalk and and we were at Antioch I think it was like 1988 and Mia was just incredibly emotional when she was singing she broke down crying and almost couldn't finish the song and I knew then that everything that she sang was completely from the heart and only put her true self into the music sunk in that there was this tremendous following uh, of fans and uh, not to sound melodramatic but even people who worshiped the ground she walked i never thought of her as a star she was just my daughter you know my daughter mia zapata 27 years old and double jointed you know that's who she was It still 
makes me sad that there's so much more we could have done. Um, I think we were really hitting some strides musically and in our writing when Mia was killed, so... I, I loved my band. I loved our music and I loved the people and, you know, and, and then we had to stop doing it. You know, that's, I, I still love listening to our music, although it, it makes me sad, it makes me miss Mia. She was on loan to me. And, and uh, she now belongs to all of you. And it's, uh, it's neat. I like it. I'm proud of her. Today, I'll be telling you about the murder of Mia Zapata and the call for justice and movement that came out of it. But first, let's get our PNW town profile. Seattle, Washington is the largest city in Washington state and the Pacific Northwest region, with just over 737,000 as of 2020. The metropolitan area of Seattle has a population of just over 4 million, making it the 15th largest city in the U.S. Its growth rate of 21% between 2010 and 2020 makes it one of the nation's fastest-growing large cities. The Seattle area was inhabited by Native Americans for at least 4,000 years before European settlers moved in. A group of travelers called the Denny Party arrived from Illinois via Portland in November of 1851, and the city was named Seattle the following year in 1852, in honor of Chief Seal of the local Duwamish and Suquamish tribes. The area experienced a population boom after World War II when Boeing established a center for manufacturing aircrafts and again when technology companies like Microsoft established in the region which increased the population by almost 50,000 people between 1990 and the year 2000. Jimi Hendrix was born in Seattle, and it was also the origin for the bands Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Foo Fighters, and many more alternative groups that were the result of Seattle's grunge movement. This is where I'll leave Seattle for now, as I know we will be back soon. And now, on to the story. Mia Catherine Zapata was born August 25, 1965, in Chicago, Illinois, to Richard and Donna Zapata. She was the third child born to the family, making her the baby sister to an older brother and sister. She was raised in Louisville, Kentucky, and attended high school at Presentation Academy, an all-girls Roman Catholic high school. 
She came from an affluent family, and by the age of nine, Mia was proficient at playing the guitar, and she was influenced musically by punk rock as well as jazz, blues, and R&B music. In 1981, her parents divorced, and her father went on to marry again. In 1984, she enrolled at Antioch College in Yellow Springs, Ohio, which is a liberal arts school that encourages their students to craft their own education. This would turn out to be a great fit for Mia, and she thrived, making lots of new friends who had similar interests. She even embraced a childhood nickname, Chicken, which she had been teased about by classmates as a child because of her lanky posture, and she even got it tattooed on her leg. The connection she made during this time culminated into the band The Gits with three friends from college named Andy, Matt, and Steve. The Gits had a pop rock style and Mia was front and center with her deep, bluesy voice. After a few years, in 1989, the band relocated to Seattle, where Mia found a job at a local bar, and the four band members became roomies at an abandoned house they nicknamed the Rat House. The Gits were not necessarily grunge, but with heavy guitars and guys with long hair, they fit into the scene just fine. Mia made friends with many of the local female musicians in the area, and she began to eat, sleep, and breathe music. She did not want to get a conventional job and had no backup plan if the band failed. To make ends meet, she worked as a dishwasher at the Deluxe Bar and Grill on Broadway. The Upper Left Corner merch store is open. Head on over to UpperLeftPodcast.com to browse my shop. You can pre-order clothing, including sweatshirts, tees, and tanks. I'll also be adding new merch throughout the month of September, including wine glasses, mugs, stickers, and more. Head over to UpperLeftPodcast.com today to support this show. If you are in the market for a new vehicle, you have to reach out to Shelly at Stuart Subaru, located in central Washington. Shelly is not your traditional car salesperson. She is a trade-up specialist and an award-winning sales consultant. She is the absolute best in the business and has been for over two years. If you are in the market for a Subaru, because let's be honest, who in the PNW isn't? You can feel confident in purchasing a Subaru with their accolades like four-time best overall brand according to Kelly Blue Book, including in the year 2021 the highest possible safety rating in all 2021 models from IIHS, and Subaru was the first automotive plant in the U.S. to achieve zero landfill status, where 100% of their waste is either recycled or turned into electricity. If you are in the market for a new Subaru and don't want to deal with a typical car sales situation, hashtag ask for Shelly at Stuart Subaru by calling 435 513-6679. You can also find her on Instagram by her handle at Shelly Subaru. That's Shelly spelled S-H-E-L-L-Y Subaru. I will link both her Insta and phone number in my show notes. And don't forget to ask for Shelly at Stuart Subaru located at 506 West Fruitvale Boulevard in Yakima, Washington. Are you looking for a better way to experience music? Do you like supporting PNW businesses? 
Well then, you have to check out Campfire Audio, creator of top-notch quality earphones for music lovers alike. Campfire Audio springs from a passionate focus on refined audio reproduction. With a small team of highly skilled and dedicated craftspeople, they continuously experiment with materials and techniques to create something unique and special for the people who care most about it. With determination and focus, prototypes turn into world-class earphones. Each model in their earphone line is designed and assembled by hand in their Portland, Oregon workshop. Their earphones are second to none in performance and finish. With their new plastic models, Satsuma and Honeydew, Campfire Audio has designed a day-to-day -day earphone for the audiophile on the go. But you can't forget their flagship model, the Andromeda. Rest assured that when you purchase a Campfire Audio earphone, you are the proud owner of a world-class product from a company that confidently stands behind everything it creates. Check out CampfireAudio.com for all of your high-end earphone needs. You can find the link in my show notes. Campfire Audio. Nicely done. Through local independent record labels, The Gets released several well-received singles in 1990 and 1991 and they began to make a name for themselves in the local music scene. Their album, called Frenching the Bully, was released in 1992, which further increased their popularity in the Seattle grunge music scene. Their sophomore album, Enter the Conquering Chicken, was released in 1993, and would be their final album. Mia and the band would support the album with a small tour. Like I said earlier, Mia came from an affluent family, but you likely would have never known if you met her in her 20s. Her father described that Mia's world had two different sides of the street, the one she grew up in with great schools, an affluent family, and tennis, but she chose to cross the street where material things didn't mean a thing to her. Her music career often led her to live in financial discomfort, but she did not seem to mind. She was described by her good friend Valerie Agnew as commanding respect and interest immediately. She had many friends in many different social circles. On July 6th, 1993, Mia was out for the night with friends to celebrate the reordering of the Gitz's second album. She spent time at the Comet, a Seattle tavern, and left around midnight where she walked one block east on Pike Street to a rehearsal studio, where she visited with a friend until around 2 a.m., at which point she said she was going to catch a taxi home. This would be the last time she was seen alive. Mia's body was discovered two miles away on a dead-end street. She had been strangled by the strings of her sweatshirt. And I like to tout ULC as tame true crime, so I won't go into all the details of her brutal rape and murder. But an important part of this case is that her murderer did leave a bite mark. Mia was murdered at the age of 27, making her part of the infamous 27 Club which is a list of musicians, artists, and actors who died at the age of 27. Although the claim of a statistical spike has been disproven, there are a shocking amount of famous people who have died at the age of 27, including Kurt Cobain, Amy Winehouse, and Jimi Hendrix. Many of the members of the 27 Club died from drug or alcohol-related issues, but not Mia. Mia's friends rallied around to support each other, and Mia's dad said he was blown away when, on the day of the funeral, he got lost in downtown Seattle, but was able to follow the sea of people holding yellow roses, which was the admission ticket to the funeral. Mia was buried in her hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. 
It is believed that Mia was listening to music through headphones, and her attacker caught her off guard. Other than the bite mark, which was not made public, there was no evidence left behind at the scene. This caused the police to hone in on those closest to her. They questioned all of her friends and even seized her journals for clues. Her ex-boyfriend became the prime suspect, as the friend she had visited with that night said Mia had been drunk and was angry with him. However, he provided an airtight alibi, but that did not stop Mia's friends from still suspecting him. Many of Mia's female friends were not happy with the investigation and felt the police were not handling the case how they should, so they raised their own funds to hire a private investigator. Members of Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and Soundgarden all donated to get justice for Mia. The culmination of Mia's murder was the anti-violence organization called Home Alive. The founders had tried out several self-defense classes, but found the options to be lacking due to prices, and they also did not like some of the rules that were taught that placed the responsibility on women, such as dressing conservatively and never walking alone. So they founded Home Alive, a program that offers self-defense classes, lessons in boundary setting, and even advanced multi-week courses, all on a sliding fee scale. They also provide free resources through their website, which I will link in my show notes, and the web address is teachhomealive.org. Mia's friends from the band Seven Year Bitch contributed to fund Home Alive by donating the profits of their 1994 album called Viva Zapata. Joan Jett also contributed to Home Alive by writing songs in order to raise money and awareness. In the wake of Mia's death, the area and vibe were affected deeply by this murder, with many people feeling unsafe in the area, and some felt the grunge scene was not as safe and healthy as they once thought. This was furthered months later when Kurt Cobain took his own life after battling addiction. So the case sat for years with no resolution, because in 1993, there was not much they could do with the saliva sample from the bite mark. But almost a decade later, and with advances in DNA technology, the sample was sent to CODIS, which is a combined DNA index system to look for a match. And in 2002, the match was found. The results came back to Jesus Mesquia, a Florida fisherman who was originally from Haiti. And 10 years after the murder, he was residing in Florida, where he was on probation for theft. He denied raping and killing Mia, stating that he was nowhere near Seattle around the time of the crime. However, traffic tickets proved otherwise. Not only traffic tickets, but two weeks prior to the murder, Jesus had been arrested for indecent exposure. His address from 1992 to 1994 was a mile and a half from the alley where Mia was found. Not only that, but after being identified, a Seattle woman called police to report that she had been sexually assaulted by him just months after Mia's murder, but that she had not reported it at the time of the assault. While investigating him further, it was made clear that Mesquia had a long history of violence against women and had spent time in jail for both sexual assault and domestic battery, with every single one of his ex-girlfriends and his ex-wife making it clear that he was abusive towards them. Mesquia has never confessed or admitted guilt in Mia's murder, but in 2004, he was convicted of first-degree felony murder and sentenced to 37 years in prison. It took the jury less than three days to deliberate, and the judge sentenced him to more than the maximum due to the severity of Mia's suffering. However, the sentence was overturned on appeal in 2005. The conviction still stood, 
However, there are several circumstances that have to be met in order for a judge to sentence over the maximum due to a Supreme Court ruling called the Blakely decision. To sentence over the maximum, the circumstances would have to be agreed upon by a jury, or the defendant would have to admit guilt, neither of which occurred. The case was handed back to the King County prosecutor, who chose to present the case to a jury to obtain the original sentence. But in 2009, Mesquia waived his right to a jury and accepted the original sentence. On January 21st, 2021, Jesus Mesquia passed away at a Pierce County hospital at the age of 66. And that is the case of Mia Zapata. This week's wine that I paired with my true crime is Ancestry Cellars Reminiscence Riesling out of Woodenville, Washington. This Riesling opens with a crisp nose of apple blossom and lemon. On the palate, crisp lime is pronounced, then followed by a softer apricot finish. The classic balance of sweetness and heightened acidity in this wine makes it great to age, showcasing an intriguing development of character over time. Cheers and thanks for listening. Upper Left Corner, a PNW true crime podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave a five-star rating and review and share it with a friend. All of the sources for this episode are listed in the show notes and at upperleftpodcast.com. While you are there, check out the Support Victim Causes tab to find the way you can help the victim's families or take a peek at my merch. You can follow me on Instagram at upperleftcornerpod. If you have a case suggestion or a PNW wine recommendation, please email me at upperleftpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your support.